Let's go. Another pod. Consistency coming back to you key dudes with some balls right now. Jordan Ross, how are we doing today? Doing well. We were just talking a little bit before this. It's it's Tuesday night currently and looking forward to watching Hard Knocks if you haven't checked it out yet. It's just a great like it's Tuesday nights are tough, especially when football season even starts. So right now, Tuesdays are like an actual day to look forward to just because of Hard Knocks. A midweek kind of reset to get you going through the rest of the week if you're into that which jordan says it's definitely worth the watch i haven't watched this one yet i have watched one in the past i did like the raiders one a few years back it's definitely been my favorite but i got some buddies an old coach if you're listening to this alex maloney your lions still suck but uh definitely something to watch for and so yeah tuesday night's a good time for them to put it out they knew everyone needs that in the middle of the week jordan we're here today to talk all things I feel like this is a good and bad podcast. A lot of slander maybe getting thrown from your end is what it sounds like at some certain MLB teams, but we are going to be touching in on some good stuff today. We're looking at primarily, I would say, us talking about a little MLB update as we head into the final month of the regular season. And then we are going to go over some of the college football traditions with that warm-up week behind us now. We're getting into the show starting here this weekend with some big games, the headliners coming up. Let's start with a little baseball talk. Jordan Ross, get it started how you want to go. Tell me about the MLB and what's intriguing to you. So I'll actually pass the first part off to you because it's probably been the biggest news in the last week, the Mariners signing uh, Julio Rodriguez to a long-term deal. What does that look like for the organization? How would you compare him, I guess? Because my initial thought was, man, when obviously the year he's having, he's going to be the rookie of the year, most likely. Um, but it felt like just a couple of years ago they had their perennial center fielder and Kyle Lewis. What does it mean to you of them not re- like signing like a Kyle Lewis a, a deal like that? And then obviously with Julio's production this year, uh, getting him locked down for the next decade. When you compare Julio Rodriguez to Kyle Lewis, Kyle Lewis had a fantastic 2020 season in that COVID season where they played 60 games, kind of came out of the roots after a few games played the previous season in 2019, and he showed sparks of what he was. But Kyle Lewis had dealt with injuries his whole time in Major League Baseball, and it continued to show following that shortened 2020 season that his durability wasn't there in 2021 being injured on several occasions with a knee injury at one point having to be shut down after not even playing 100 games last season. Come into this season, still hurt, gets his chance to come up, whatever it is, just rusty from not seeing pitches, just not the same. And even in that 2020 season, Kyle Lewis had a fantastic 40-45 games and ended the season actually really bad. Him and him and Luis Robert, or Robert, however you want to call him, I know that name has not been distinguished yet, actually, and it makes me extremely irritated, but that's not the point of this. Him and Robert both struggled to end the last month or last few 20 games of that season. Kyle Lewis only hit 231 as a rookie, which is still respectable. He didn't show the flashes that Julio did. Julio maybe promising to join the 30-30 club as a rookie is unseen before. Like we said, $210 million, I believe, guarantee or 250 guaranteed through up to $400 million for Julio Rodriguez. Seems like high risk, high reward at the same time, because look, it's just his rookie year. Scouting reports are going to develop as he keeps going on. But at the same time, 
he's electric. And I don't think you look at one season and say Julio's going to decrease or stay at the line he has. He set the bar extremely high for himself, and it's going to be definitely very hard to live up. But the Mariners, with what they had and money being spent that they have saved up to go after big stars, they're not going to take the risk in going after a big star and hoping it pans out. They have a big star inside their organization, hopefully for the next 10 to 14 years. So I, I do like the move, especially with the money being able to be played around with. And I think they're doing a good job with the guys that they have right now on their roster, being able to lock them down for a few more years while those guys, such as, for example, Adam Frazier, Jesse Winker, I think Ty France is going to be in the works of signing. And JP Crawford's already signed as well as you do have Robbie Ray, who although struggled, still putting out some great numbers here late locked down for a while. The Mariners are in a good position to still sign someone in the offseason, and they're still building forward despite giving up what they did for Luis Castillo. He has to be my question mark with the money that was thrown on the table. I know that's a long answer, but for, for what Julio's worth right now, I believe the Mariners know that this is the cheapest they can get him if Julio stays at the trend that he's on, because we all know when Juan Soto's time comes up, we're looking at a $500 plus million contract, and no team really is going to want to gamble with that. Mariners locked up Julio for potentially the cheapest any team could lock him up with going forward, and they get to avoid arbitration. Yeah, that's those are all very good points. You hit the nail on the head. It was right where I was going to get into. I do think there's some question marks around his health, just even in his rookie year. He's been on and off the, the injured list, it seems like, for at least a couple of times so far this year. Uh, but you look at the contract, and it's like $18 million a year over the course of the next, what, 12 years, I believe? Like 12, 10 years from now, or he'll be, what, in his... He'll be 31. Yeah, yeah he'll, be, he'll be 31 years old, so he'd still be primed for another big contract. He could be getting paid, like, you know half of what he should be deserving at that point in, in his career. Um, so I do think there's risk on the Mariners side, but there's also risk on his side for, for not holding out. And obviously we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the Braves, the Astros, some of these teams that are doing this, you're starting to see it more and more around the league where they're signing their youth to long-term deals to pay them up front, avoid arbitration. And instead of them making, you know, $700,000 a year next year, he's going to be making 4 million, but he's also got a $15.3 million signing bonus. That's mm-hmm. life-changing money. And a lot of these, you know, young guys, not to, there's obviously Americans that make it, you know, as these top prospects as well, but a lot of these guys that are coming from, you know, these Latin communities or, you know, just, abroad basically they don't grow up in the highest upbringings and they you know this type of money can set their not just themselves up but their generations of family up for the rest of you know their lifetime and and many more so i like the move get them early 18 million dollars five years from now maybe chump change for what he's worth if he keeps panning out the way he's supposed to it is the biggest sign that we've seen out of the MLB for these younger, I guess you would call it Dominican and in cases, Latin American players. So the two that stand out to me when you talk about this, first, I want to bring up one point. Juan Soto, who's fantastic. We all know best eye in baseball. I'm not saying Julio's better than him way too early to tell. We don't necessarily know where it's going to go. Julio could be very similar, potentially better, maybe slightly under. Remember that Juan Soto declined a $440 million contract from the Washington Nationals in the offseason and to begin the uh, beginning of this season. So when you look at that, you think Julio's bound to be around a Juan Soto type contract based on how he's playing this year when that time comes. So now we're signing him for cheaper than what Juan Soto just declined and Juan Soto is expecting $500 million. You talk about going after these guys who are already in your organization from 
you know, a place with no money. The two that stand out to me, let's go back to last year, Wander Franco, who had a fantastic year, has promised to be a, a perennial all-star for years to come. I would say Julio's already better than him, but this guy, again, is 20, 21, 22 years old. Franco signed an 11-year deal worth $182 million contract with the Rays. That, that's chump change when you talk about chump change with Julio. The Rays may have got the biggest steal in that one. Let's go back even further. Let's take a look at this guy. Had the most second most votes, I believe it was, in the All-Star game this year, Ronald Acuna Jr. No question about his worth as a player. I know you're not the biggest fan of him. He's my favorite player to watch in baseball, although irritating at sometimes with the way uh, we both saw him perform when he struck out three times, but hey, players have bad games. He signed an eight-year, $100 million contract for the Braves, and I believe it was in... Gosh, I want to say it was 2019, 2020. Mm -hmm. And so it's, it's, this guy's worth so much more money right now, but because he gets to avoid arbitration because he took the money up front when he was younger, smart move on his part. He's still playing cash, but the Braves did a great job locking him up. And now they have the ability to go after the guys who are in their roster. Dansby, they have a chance to, they locked up Matt Olson this past offseason. They have some great pitchers who they're going to have to obtain. And, you know, Kyle Wright or Ian Anderson or Spencer Strider when that time comes up now, because they didn't have to break the bank for Ronald Acuna, kind of like the Mariners who have been saving money for so long to sign someone like this. They don't have to necessarily break the bank to keep building pieces around their their centerpiece and uh, they did a fantastic job i would say the braves probably did the best job on it but for the mariners did they throw too much money out maybe but if the way julio performs and performs it's almost like they got him for a steal if he performs now granted that's a lot of pressure for a young young baseball player but julio oozes confidence and great baseball so in short, I think the Mariners did a great job, but time time always tells more than anything, and we'll just have to keep watching. All I do know for now is he's fantastic for the game of baseball. Absolutely, and it's not the it's not the first like long term deal they've done. I remember when they signed Cano. I think it was like ten years, mm-hmm. twenty two hundred forty million, mm-hmm. and I think he lasted what. Five, five, six years, years five yeah. years of it. So, and I would um, say four or five were actually pretty good and felt worth it. Excuse me. We got an alarm going off in the background. That means it's time for giveaways. So if you follow Deuce, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Apologize for the unprofessionalism. I think we should get into a couple more MLB things before we transition over to the pigskin. Right now in baseball, there's there's obviously the Julio sign. There's also a lot of really exciting things going on. I want to touch on a couple different teams and then let's talk about some other exciting things of maybe just mm-hmm. players to watch for this last little stretch here. I don't want to go too into depth the two teams that I've been kind of watching closely, what happened to the Yankees? I mean, we sat here a month ago and we literally, you could have made the, an argument and it would have been hard to dispute that they're the best team in baseball. They're now four games back from the Astros for the number one uh, seed in the AL. What's going on with the Yankees and what are they going to need to do to get ready for the postseason? Well, look, we talk about the, the AL West being, or sorry, the AL East being the best division always. And I think it's always because they have a bunch of stacked teams, but then the team that was the top dog that pulls away at the midseason point tends to fall down. And we start to see three teams start to compile back to the top of that. And that's exactly, I mean, that is exactly what we're seeing going on with the Yankees. Look, struggling, struggling, struggling since the all-star break, losing more series than even coming close to winning. I think uh, the biggest standout is Oakland Uh, splitting with Oakland. Not a good look. Uh, they did a great job in their only series they did a great job in so far is looking like the Yankees before the all-star break against the New York Mets beating up on, on little baby bro. Uh, and that losing, you know, a couple series to the Astros losing to getting swept or losing three or four, I believe it was to Tampa losing a series to Boston, losing two series to Seattle, uh, Houston's mixed in there. 
St. Louis is mixed in there. Teams that are actually, if you start looking at these, Houston, Seattle, St. Louis, teams that are going to be playoff teams, the Yankees aren't beating. Boston, potentially. Tampa, potentially. This could be a first-round matchup if the Yankees don't play. You know, it's right. They could be playing Seattle or playing Tampa. Um, not looking good. And it's, it's really coming from... I would say more times than not lack of offense. The pitching still isn't giving up a ton of runs. Sure, there's some outlier games, but but when Aaron Judge is really your only source of production and his production being the home run ball at this point, not looking too good. You do not want to go cold into September for sure. Yeah, you hit the yeah, you hit the hammer on the head of the na- I don't even know. Did I forget with the, the nail, nail right on the head, I think. Yeah, you hit the say. nail right on the head. Like you're exactly right. These are playoff teams you're losing to, and obviously the the Oakland series is big. But I don't really look at series like that because I look at those more as outliers. Like mm-hmm. I like I mentioned, even at this point in the season, the Astros have only been swept once, and it was by the Oakland Athletics. Does that really? <laughs> that's like the biggest outlier of their season. But like you mentioned, the Cardinals, the Mariners, the Astros are getting beat up on teams that they're going to potentially be facing in uh, October, and I have not been impressed with them lately. The second team I wanted to talk about. Yeah. And we haven't brought this name up on this podcast yet, I don't believe. Oh. But it's not even a player. When you look at the American League, what Terry Francona and the Cleveland Indians have done. Whoa, just still... whoa, whoa. Name drop. Whoa. Guardian, sir. Oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> just kidding. The Cleveland, the Cleveland I-words. <laughs> the Cleveland I-words. Uh, but regardless... It's so impressive. Like he always finds a way to have his team there, even when it doesn't seem like they're as talented as the rest of their division. I think you could have made a case that I would have thought Cleveland was going to be the, the maybe the three spot, maybe even the four spot going into the season because we were both kind of excited for Detroit. They've obviously panned out to be the worst team in the division this year. But for them to have, you know, over a game lead on Minnesota and a five game lead on the White Sox is impressive. And I think that you have a couple guys that you could circle there on that team, but I think it just goes to show how good of a manager Terry Francona is. And uh, obviously he left the season last year, right? Due to health uh, issues. He's been there this year. Um, the guardians look like they might be rolling into the postseason uh, with home field advantage. Look here, dudes with some balls. We do make all fun and jokes, but we did not mean to offend anybody in any culture. Uh, Jordan deeply apologizes. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, well, that too. We do, you know, it's, it's history. <laughs> now I just put us in an awkward spot. If anybody's listening to this, listen, back to baseball. Terry Francona is an exceptional manager. The year the Guardians, when they were the Indians, broke that one streak record after losing to the Cubs in game seven of the 2016 World Series. Really felt like it was their year. And I think a lot of people were honestly rooting for him. It was after the LeBron year. Cleveland, you know. So if Cleveland would have won it all, it would have been sweet, especially, you know, would have upped the Moneyball movie. But to get into this year, you're exactly right. Me and you didn't pencil them in. Uh, Booth, when he's on the podcast, didn't pencil them in. Not many baseball people, analysts to the top tier, didn't pencil them in. What he's done, what Jose Ramirez has done as a leader of that team, what you've seen from that staff has been incredible all around. Terry Francona, if this team makes the postseason, I believe he's at least a finalist for manager of the year. And And rightfully so, when no one penciled you in to do this. Um, exactly they've done so great and i don't even need to go in on it too much struggled a little bit as of lately uh, but no one in that division is playing fantastic what's going to come down to them i believe that's going to define their playoff position is they head to minnesota at the beginning of this month i think it's that friday september 9th weekend and then they also host minnesota in the middle of september 
And those two series, I think it's a three-game then a four-game series early in September are going to be very important to deciding that AL Central title. And not the sexiest race, but it is definitely going to be a race that I pay close attention to, especially to see if Chicago has one last push because it's getting late for them. Yeah, their their season's starting to look like it could be coming to an end here very soon. They're, they, I think I saw the other day it was the first time since like April 29th that they were 500. They are now two games below 500 again. Um, so they have been, yeah, they have by all expectations have definitely failed their expectations for the year. Last little bit of MLB that I I was wanting to go over is the race, like not really the races, but the, there's a few guys that are chasing some type of history that I feel like we should touch on. You got Aaron judge who's on pace for, I think they said 63 home runs. So yeah, I mean, he's still hitting the ball at the ballpark. He's eclipsed 50 already. Mm -hmm. We'll see what he does the rest of the year. You got Pujols six away, I believe now. Yep, six or seven hundred the other night. Yep, mm-hmm. to be what the fourth player ever to yeah. hit to join the seven hundred club. And I'll let you touch on that a little bit. There's one other dark horse, like guy chasing history that is not sexy at all, and there's probably not many people talking about it. But I do have a wild stat for you because okay. it doesn't happen very often. So Framber Valdez this year has thrown 21 straight quality starts. He's shooting for 22 tonight wow. for, against the Texas Rangers. The MLB record is 26, which was set by uh, Jacob deGrom back in 2018. Sign He's actually it. tied for that, uh, for the most consecutive quality starts ever with Bob Gibson of the 1967-1968 season at 26. So if Framber Valdez puts together you know, four more starts and ties them, he will be one of three players in baseball history with 26 straight quality starts. Still has a few more starts to get there, but his next couple starts is going to be going up against the Rangers, who at times their offense does explode. Um, as of right now, he's not giving up a run tonight. So it looks like <laughs> he he's on pace to be hitting that 22 uh, straight for quality starts, which for those of you who don't know, I believe it's six innings with four runs or less, or less than four runs. Yeah, beautiful. That is not a fun stat. But or like sexy stat. That is a fun stat yeah. for us baseball nerds. He fantastic. And that's what's going to make the Astros a tough team like we talked about in the playoffs is especially if they have to play, which they won't have to. They'll probably be a one or two seed. But if they had to play in that three game wild card series, count your blessings. Uh, so anyways, uh, you mentioned all those great ones. The other one, Paul Goldschmidt chasing potentially the first triple crown since Miguel Cabrera. Right now, Kyle Schwarber leads him only in the home runs category for the NL side at 36, where Goldschmidt sits at 33. Goldschmidt still leading the batting average entering tonight at 335 and runs batted in, I believe, he is at, I think he's leading the NL yet with 105. And then he's just behind. Freddie Freeman and Trey Turner for hits by Freeman leads them by nine. So there's a lot of good categories going on. Goldschmidt looking like an MVP favorite. Freddie Freeman looking fantastic too. There's some great MVP races and we'll get into those. I think we'll probably touch in on it probably as the season gets close to wrapping up before that final playoff talk for us. One thing I wanted to touch in on quietly because we talked about contract deals a little while ago at the beginning of the podcast there's another one that stands out to me and we talk about who who played the smartest one and i said the braves did a great job and how they handled acuna for a nice eight-year deal to avoid arbitration for 100 million it allowed them to lock up this guy austin riley 10-year 212 million dollar contract again not breaking the bait contract he was fantastic in the postseason last year anticipated for a big year this year boom 31 home runs, fifth in the fifth in all of MLB right now, tied for fifth for most home runs. So Austin Riley, 
keeps that Braves team great. Just like you talk about the Astros, the, the Dodgers, the Cardinals, another team that's starting to learn how to build from within very successfully sets up long-term success. We're seeing it. So I love that. I think you talked some great stats. I think baseball was really fun talking tonight. I didn't know where we'd go tonight with baseball and how we just flowed with it. I had a ton of fun talking baseball. We took a break from it and now we're back. I know we talked at the beginning of the podcast that we're excited for college football and we're going to talk about some great things coming in college football as we hit into the second part of the week one trilogy, I guess, even though it's two parts, so not trilogy. But if you're excited for college football, we're going to switch it over to our second part of this podcast coming in the next episode. We are dropping this episode part two for college football. Jordan, sign us off on our baseball elements tonight. As always, it was a pleasure talking to you, Mr. Rose. Excited to keep watching baseball as the season comes down to the wire. Also, college football Thursday, like the, the coming up with just Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday here in two weeks, we're going to have, you know, four days of the week that we can lock up on football and eventually Maction will be back. So I don't need to watch Harden Knocks on Tuesday nights. We'll be watching some action football. Just looking forward to the sports, sports world coming up. But as always, pleasure talking to you, Nick.